Blessed Sunday, brothers and sisters in Christ. Indeed, how blessed we are, for it is already the first Sunday of December. And on behalf of the pastoral team and our leaders here in UECP, let me be one of the first to greet all of you a Merry, Merry Christmas. I'm sure that some of us have thought this day wouldn't come, that we will not get past 2020. But here we are. I know it has been an eventful and for many of us a sad year full of tears, struggles, and challenges. But we are still here by the grace of God. And for those who have gone, their joy is now complete for they are now with our Lord. Indeed, it is true what the Apostle Paul told us, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And now we are nearing the end of an eventful year. We are also nearing the end of our wondrous journey through the book of Exodus. And we thank the Lord for reminding us that just as He was with His people while they were in bondage of slavery in Egypt, He is also with us today as we go through this pandemic and the calamities that have gone our way. He always was, He always is, and He always will be. This is our great privilege as the people of God. But sadly, many of us take our special relationship with God for granted. We get used to hearing about God's love for us, His mercies, His faithfulness, His protection, and all the other good things we receive from Him that we begin to think that this is how it is supposed to be. That these are the things that should rightfully be bestowed to us and that we deserve all of these. But we don't. And this is what our passage wants to remind us today. Our passage for today will remind us that we actually deserve the opposite. That we were actually destined for, God, for, for God's wrath instead of God's love. We, His people, should have been disowned, destroyed, and abandoned by God. For that is what we deserved. And yet, He didn't. And the reason he didn't is because someone stood in between God's wrath and God's sinful people. Someone stood in the middle and mended the relationship we have broken because of our sin. Two weeks ago, we learned that the enemy is someone who stands between God's promises and God's people. Today, we will be reminded that there was a mediator who stood between God's wrath and God's sinful people. And so, my title for today is God, the Golden Calf, and the Guy in Between. God, the Golden Calf, and the Guy in Between. And the big idea is, we were spared from God's wrath because of the one who stood on our behalf. We were spared from God's wrath because of the one who stood on our behalf. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open them with me to Exodus chapter 32. We will only be reading verses 1 to 14. But actually, we will cover until chapter 34. So keep your Bibles open with you even after we read our passage. Let us read Exodus chapter 32, verse 1 to 14. 
When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with the graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt with a great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, With evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. May God bless the reading of his word. Here we see an event familiar to many of us. It is when the Israelites built a calf made of gold and they worshipped it. What made this event very significant and such a big deal is that the Israelites broke one of the Ten Commandments God gave them in Mount Sinai. Now, to understand the full gravity of what they did, we need to backtrack a bit and get some background. You see, this happened while they were waiting for Moses to come back from the mountain to receive instructions from God in building the tabernacle. The tabernacle is the place where God will dwell so that he can be with his people. This was the reason God rescued them from Egypt and made a covenant with them in the first place so that he can establish a relationship with them and to be with them. God gave them the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law as part of that covenant in order for this to happen, and the people gladly accepted this covenant. Now, 
now that the people accepted the covenant, God commanded Moses to go up again the, uh, to the mountain to give him instructions on how they are to build the tabernacle, the tent where God will dwell on earth in the midst of his people. But just as God was giving these instructions to Moses, the people who just received and accepted the covenant immediately grew tired of waiting. So they called up Aaron, the brother of Moses, and told him to make them gods just like the ones they worshipped in Egypt. And without any hint of hesitation, Aaron granted their requests. He demanded for their gold earrings and jewelries, and from it he fashioned a golden calf. Then he told the people that that was the God who brought them out of Egypt. And then he commanded the people to worship it and offer sacrifices to it. And the people did. The people did. Now, let me ask you, what part of the Ten Commandments did Aaron and the Israelites break? You might think it was the first commandment, but it was actually the second commandment. The first commandment prohibits the worship of idols or other gods except from the, for the one true God. But what they created is supposedly not an idol. Instead, they made God into an image of a bull and they worshipped it. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 4 to 5, Pastor LJ talked about this. He says, You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is uh, the earth beneath and that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. The second commandment tells us that we cannot make images of God using any kind of materials found on earth or in heaven or under the sea, basically the whole universe. But that is what the Israelites did. They fashioned God into a golden calf. And so, that is how the Israelites broke covenant with God immediately after they have just accepted it. You know, here in the Philippines, we see this command being broken in our communities and inside our homes when we hang paintings of supposed pictures of our Lord or put up sculptures of Him. This is an obvious violation of the second commandment. But there is a subtler way of breaking the second commandment that many Christians are not aware of. And that is when we make God into our own image. When we make God into our own image. When we fashion God in our minds into the God we are comfortable of believing in. When we fashion God in our minds into the God we are comfortable of believing in. Example, when we believe that God tolerates sin like homosexuality or sexual immorality, we make an image of God. When we believe that God only wants to make people rich and happy, that's another image of God. When we believe that God only knows how to love and only promotes positivity. Brothers and sisters, these are not the God of the Bible. These are the gods we fashioned for ourselves to complement our sinful lives. The God of the Bible is a holy God 
whose love is holy, whose love is righteous, who hates sin, who works even through suffering. And there is no one like him here on earth or in, the, in all the universe. We were made into his image, but we should avoid making God into our image. So, do you have any golden calf you have built in your life? Have you fashioned God to be a God that you want, that you are comfortable of believing in? The best way to avoid making one is to meditate on the scriptures. Let the Bible paint us a picture of who God really is. For it is through the scriptures alone that God reveals his unique character to us. And let us worship the God of the scriptures and not the gods we make for ourselves. By crafting a golden calf and worshiping it, they broke the second commandment. This was the sin of the Israelites. This is how they've broken covenant against God. And all of us have sinned against God as well. Maybe not the second commandment, but definitely the other commandments we have broken one way or the other. As Romans 3 verse 10, Paul reminds us, none is righteous. No, not one. All of us have sinned, including you and me. We have all sinned against God, and that is not void of consequence. There is a great consequence for our sins, consequences we should be facing if not for the one who stood on our behalf. We were spared from God's wrath because of the one who stood on our behalf. Because of our sin, we should be facing God's wrath. Now, what is God's wrath? This was the punishment for Israel's golden calf incident. But what does God's wrath mean for the Israelites? And what, and what should it mean for us today? First, let us look at Exodus chapter 32, verse 7. It says here, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people, whom you brought out, out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. Now, what is going on in this passage? You won't notice it if you read it just like that, just passing like that. So let me read it to you again with a bit of emphasis and feeling. It says here, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought out out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. Now, do you get the picture here? It is like when your kid does something wrong and you tell your spouse, Hoy, yung anak mo ang tigas ng ulo. Yung anak mo, when it should be yung anak natin. Of course, when we say that, we are not serious. But you know, in the case of the Israelite, God was serious. He was dead serious. What is happening here? God is rejecting Israel as his people. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out, out, uh, out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. 
But now he's telling Moses, your people whom you brought out. Since the Israelites broke covenant with God, the covenant has been broken. The covenant that the Israelites will be God's people and the Lord will be their God, which the Israelites accept, the Israel broke. And so God rejects Israel as his people. But that's not the only thing. How else is God's wrath poured out against the Israelites? In verse 9, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Here, it is more obvious what God wants to do. God wants to destroy and replace them. In his anger, God was willing to destroy the Israelites completely and build Moses a new people. God wanted to destroy the Israelites. That is God's wrath. But there's one more way God's wrath was poured out against the Israelites. In in chapter 33, verse 3, God told Moses, Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Before this, God was was with them every step of the way. Through the pillar of cloud in the morning, through the pillar of fire by night in Exodus chapter 13. But now, God refuses to be with them. He cannot stand to be in their presence. God's presence wants to depart from them, just like what he did in the book of Ezekiel. When the Spirit of the Lord came out of the temple because they have defiled God's house. So, these are the result of God, uh, of the golden calf incident. God rejects them, God seeks to destroy them, and God refuses to be with them anymore. These are the things they are supposed to be when God rescued them from Egypt. They are supposed to be God's people. They should have life and they should be with God. But now, this special relationship was put in jeopardy all because of the golden calf, all because of their sin. Because of their sin, they have become rejects, abandoned, destined for destruction. And brothers and sisters, that is also who we were because of our sins. In Isaiah 59 verse 2, it says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so he does not hear. He does not hear. You see, God is a source of life, and to be separated from Him means we do not have life. And that is what we all deserve. We do not deserve His goodness, His mercies, His love, and His faithfulness. Because of our sins, because of our golden calves, we have become rejects, outcasts, disqualified people, disqualified from the blessing and the presence of God. What then can we learn from this? What can we learn? That we must not take God in our relation with, relationship with Him for granted. We should not take God in our relationship with Him for granted. We must not take sin lightly. No. 
Instead, we must take it seriously, dead serious. Because sin is a disease that isolates us away from God. Sin is a disease that isolates us away from God. From children, we have become enemies of God because of our sins. Therefore, we must learn to fear the Lord and live according to His will. In Deuteronomy, it says, And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that He might preserve us alive as we are this day. You see, if we are in the presence of our Lord, there is life. And if we are thrown away from His presence, only death waits us. Brothers and sisters, we were destined for God's wrath, which separates us from Him, which doomed us to destruction. And this is an important truth we always need to remember for us to live in humility and thanksgiving of what we have today. You see, we were only spared from God's wrath because there was someone who stood on our behalf. We were spared from God's wrath because of the one who stood on our behalf. Now that we understand the consequences for Israel's disobedience and the gravity of our sin, how did the story continue? Or why was there a continuation to the story in the first place? God already rejected His people and He wanted to destroy them. So it's supposed to be the end, right? But no, it was not the end. We know the story continued before, because there was a chapter 34, chapter 35, chapter 36. And after that, the book of Leviticus, the book of Numbers, the book of Deuteronomy, and there's the book of Matthew and Revelations till the end. And so the story continued. So how did the Israelites survive this ordeal? It was thanks to the guy in between, their leader, Moses, who acted as mediator between the people and God and interceded on behalf of the people. When God rejected and wanted to destroy the Israelites, Moses stood boldly before God and pleaded on behalf of the Israelites. Let's read what, how, how he pleaded again. In verse 12 to 13, it says, But Moses implored uh, the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out, out of the land of Egypt, with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit forever. What did Moses do here? Moses pleaded to God for the Israelites. Moses tries to convince God to relent of his anger by remembering the promise he had made to their forefathers. He invokes God's faithfulness despite the unfaithfulness of his own people. You see, 
even though we are unfaithful, God remains faithful to himself, to his promises. And then when God expressed to the people that he won't go with them to the promised land, Moses came again before God, went again before God, and pleaded for the people once again. In verse 15 to 17, it says, And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight and I, your people? Is it not in your going with us that we are distinct, I and your people, from any other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. That was a special relationship of, of, of God with the Israelites, that they're the only people whose God is always with them. Because of Moses' humility and boldness to come before the Lord to plead for his people, God spared the Israelites and promised to be with them once again, offering forgiveness for what they have done. And you see, this is a different Moses than the one we know of from the burning bush in Egypt. At first, Moses, was all, all, Moses always questions and doubts God. But here we see a Moses who is intimate with God and confident of God's goodness and faithfulness despite the evil actions of his people. He was even willing to give his life for the sake of his people. In chapter 32, verse 31 to 32, it says, So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin... But if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. You see, when the Israelites sinned greatly against God, Moses stood in between. Moses interceded for them. And God showed mercy to the people because of what Moses did. Now, how do we understand and apply this today? You see, just like the Israelites were in need of a mediator like Moses who will intercede for them before God because of our sins, we also need a mediator. We also need somebody like Moses to stand in between God's wrath and God's people. And brothers and sisters, we are so blessed. We are so fortunate we have a mediator who intercedes for us. And our mediator is someone greater and better than Moses. In Hebrews 9 verse 15, let me read to you. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Hebrews talk about a mediator. And who is this mediator? Paul tells Timothy, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Brothers and sisters, our mediator who stood in between God's wrath and God's people is Jesus Christ. 
It is because of Jesus that we can come before God and worship Him. It is Jesus who mended our broken relationship with God by putting upon Himself the full wrath of God on the cross. You see, God's wrath was still poured out. Not to us, but to our mediator who stand in between, Jesus Christ. And the prophet Isaiah vividly paints it for us. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. This is the truth God wants us to learn and remember today. Especially this Christmas season that He has sent us His gift, the gift of a mediator because we were spared from God's wrath because of the one who stood on our behalf, Jesus, our Savior and mediator. The one who stood in between God's wrath and God's people offering forgiveness and reconciliation for those who will believe in Him. Brothers and sisters, this is the good news. This is the gospel that we live by. This is the gospel that we proclaim. This is the gospel that we live for. Now how then should we respond to this truth? A wonderful truth deserves a response. It compels us to respond. How do we live in humility and thanksgiving, appreciating and making the most of what our Lord Jesus has done for us, standing in between God's wrath and us? Well, first and the most obvious response is to put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Because He was the one who stood for you. And He's the one who can make your relationship right with God. Without Him, we are rejects, abandoned, destined for destruction. But through Him, we can be children of God once again. The Bible tells us, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. So brothers and sisters, guests, family, friends, what are you waiting for? Jesus is our mediator, our Savior, so put your trust in Him alone. The second response is to follow Jesus. First is to trust, the second is to follow. Just as He has made us right with God, He can also lead us to walk rightly with God. He can lead us to walk rightly with God. It doesn't mean that because we are already saved, we are already forgiven, now we can continue to sin. No. When we trust in Jesus, then we let Him lead us to walk rightly with God. That is what we call discipleship, following Jesus. And the only way He can be our perfect mediator is by living a perfect life without sin, fully pleasing to God. That is what Jesus did all his 30 years of life here on earth. And so therefore, he can help us live a life fully pleasing to God. The Apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2 verse 21, For this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example 
that you might follow in His steps. So that you may follow in His steps. So first, put your trust in Jesus. Second, follow Jesus. Follow Christ. The third response to this truth is to be an ambassador of reconciliation by proclaiming Christ to others. Just as Christ stood in our behalf to spare us from God's wrath, we must also stand on His behalf and bring the message of reconciliation to others. We must tell the people about Jesus and what what He has done for them, that He is the only way to be right with God. This is a proper response to what Jesus has done for us. Just as Jesus has stood between God's wrath and God's people, we must stand in between as well as God's people for those who are looking for God. We must stand in the gap. Just as the Apostle Paul tells us in his letter to the Corinthians, he says, All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Brothers and sisters, we were reconciled to God. Therefore, the message of reconciliation is with us. And it is our responsibility to pass it on to others. We must proclaim Christ. And we have another term for it making disciples. That is why our theme is to love God, make disciples. We can respond to our great mediator by trusting in Him, by following Him, and proclaiming Him to others. Let us trust in Jesus, follow Jesus, and proclaim Jesus. Brothers and sisters, indeed, we are a blessed people of God. Destined for God's wrath, but spared from it because of the one who stood on our behalf. Our mediator, our savior, our king, Jesus Christ. Therefore, brothers and sisters, especially this Christmas season, let us be reminded to live in humility and thanksgiving every day, remembering the one who stood in between God's wrath and our lives. We must trust in Jesus, following Jesus, and proclaim Jesus to the world. For we were spared from God's wrath because of the one who stood on our behalf, our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we want to give thanks for today. Thank you for the reminder of our true state, the state that we deserve. And that is your wrath. Our sin, Lord, led us to your wrath. And yet, we were spared because you sent us a Savior. You sent us a mediator. You sent us your only son to stand in between God's wrath and our sin. To forgive our sins so that our relationship, our special relationship with you will be restored and reconciled. Therefore, Lord, help us to always put our trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone. 
Help us, Lord, to follow him every step of the way so that we might live a life pleasing unto you. And help us, Lord, to proclaim this good news, this message of reconciliation, to proclaim Christ to the world so that other people will be reconciled back to you and be your children once again through him who stand in between. In his name we pray. Amen and amen.